My name is Stephen Moore and I'm the presenter of the Your Law Firm Success podcast. This podcast explores the routes to law firm success. We chat to those who have done it, those who are doing it, and those who help law firms do it. This podcast is brought to you by MLT Digital, the leaders in law firm success. In this edition of the Your Law Firm Success podcast, I spend some time chatting to Greg White of Jones White. Jones White is a general practice firm based in Scotland that has grown in the space of 10 years from the two original partners, Greg, Greg White and Ross Jones, sitting at a table in an architect's office to a 250 strong firm. It's quite remarkable, genuinely, what they have achieved in the space of 10 years. They've done in that period what it normally takes firms, maybe 30 to 60 years to achieve. In this episode, Greg talks about some of his levers for success, some of the lessons learned along the way, why culture is extremely important to him and where he sees both the future of his firm and the future of legal services in general. This podcast is brought to you by MLT Digital. MLT Digital specialises in generating business online for law firms and turning the internet into a significant source of new business opportunity. You can find out more about the Your Law Firm Success podcast at mltdigital.co.uk forward slash podcast. Hi, Greg. How are you? It's nice to see you. Hi, Stephen. Yes, uh, I'm glad to see you. Nice to be on. Um, thank you for accepting invite to come on. I was really keen to speak to you because we've obviously known each other for a while, but in my view, you've achieved with your law firm in the space of roughly 10 years or so, what it's traditionally taken firms maybe 100 years or so right. to achieve. Yeah. We've certainly grown quickly. We've certainly grown quickly and growth was, um, growth was never actually the end goal or really much part of the plan. Uh, certainly when you begin and you mentioned it was almost exactly 10 years ago as I'm sure it is for everyone else in that situation it's all about survival it's all about just seeing uh, how you can go on and keep the lights on so yes um, the growth's been great it uh, allows you different opportunities uh, different headaches um, but yeah, yeah. It's, it's there's been strong growth yes and so to, to go back to that phase if we could talk just initially about why you started Jones White with your partner, Ross Jones, when that was, where it was, and then maybe move on to where you are now. Let's do it backwards then. Where we are now, um, we're a firm at last count of 264 people. And we're based in Glasgow City Centre, operating throughout Scotland. And indeed, in parts of, for parts of our work, we work in England as well. And... Um, so when 2013 uh, is when we started and where we first started was we literally rented a couple of seats in an architect's office in West George Street and and we were there for a couple of months until actually we got kicked out in a kind of midnight flit style and like the business we were in with at the time had a bit of difficulty with our landlord so uh, met the owner of the business just having a coffee one afternoon they said look Need to tell you this, we're going to go out the building tomorrow, so you need to find somewhere new to be. So yeah, that was kind of that was um, reflective of what it was like at the start. A bit chaotic in many ways, but you get used to that quickly. So like like I've seen, 
different challenges at different stages of the journey. And so uh, why, you know, you, you, I think you were at Thompson's, I think, before then, weren't you, as a, as an, as a solicitor? What prompted you to actually yes. make the move into opening your own practice? Um, it was something that I always fancied um, and it was kind of always the plan to extend and there was a plan. Now, obviously, you consider different things, you have different crises of confidence, you look in different directions, you look at uh, different jobs, different careers. Um, I would have been more than happy staying at Thompson's, which is a brilliant firm. We've still got really good, strong connections there. Um, but I, I, I would to try and uh, branch out myself. And I'd, at, at that point, I just happened to meet Ross, who was a guy that I'd known loosely um, from university. And he was of the same mindset at the time. So it kind of felt like a, a problem shared was a problem halved in that regard. And we both kind of encouraged each other to go for it and to take it take the plunge and to take the risk and yeah that that worked out and that kind of forces you to the point of no return so very quickly you as you know yourself Stephen you, you begin to spend money on things that you would require to go into business to open a firm and you get to the point where you know you, you're at the point of no return and before you know it you're you know you're having to like, uh, speak to friends speak to colleagues speak to family and say look this is what I'm I'm going to be doing um, and and what been, type it's of been a brilliant decision. Sorry, apologies, Greg. Um, <laughs> what type of university student were you? Oh, the, the best type, Stephen, as you can imagine. You know, just, I, I don't, I, straight A's all the way. Um, you know, just all kinds of academic honours and merits. You know, I'm sure my name's probably up there somewhere in the university, but yeah, I don't, I don't like to dwell on these things. No, I was a very, I was a very, very, average student I, I don't think I actually particularly liked being a student to any great extent um, I went to Glasgow University good, good university I did a diploma in Aberdeen certainly was nowhere near the top of the class didn't trouble it in any which way at all um, and yeah it, it's for me it was a, it was a means to an end it was a it was a it was a fun thing university um but yeah, you certainly wouldn't see my name in any kind of halls or honours there. In terms of the sort of motivation to actually start your firm and where you thought your skill sets, your skill sets um, were or where they lay, obviously you're you're taking a leap with Ross. You're a relatively young solicitor. You've not been doing things very long. You've then got to go out and start to build a client base and build a service offering. How did you go about that? And and where you did you have had you learned any lessons from your time in Thompson's or from others where you thought, I'm not going to do this, I'm going to go at it more from this angle? Yeah, I mean, fundamentally it was a very basic thing. And I, I was able to I had quite a broad network to use that horrible word. I had a decent amount of friends. Uh, I was coming to an age where your friends were needing to use legal services, be that for their business, be that for buying a house, be that for a dispute or whatever else it is. And I was finding more and more frequently that they were coming to me as a lawyer and saying, look, I've got this problem, I've got this driving conviction, I've got this claim that needs dealt with, I'm buying a house, I've got a dispute, uh, going through problems with my partner. And they were asking you more and more of these questions. And I was 
either dealing with this work within uh, my role uh, in my previous firm, or I was referring it to other lawyers I knew, and then on a bit of a kind of back of a fag packet mathematical equation, you sort of say, well, look, if all these things actually came to me and I was able to do them, would that be enough to support myself? And I thought with that and with a bit more digging and bit more going into the market and speaking to those who had the power to refer business, that it might be something we could make a fist at. So we did it. You have then experienced, you know, very, very significant growth. So you would have started off from a turnover of zero. Are you happy saying, you know, what your turnover is today? Um, yeah, yes. I mean, well, I'll probably get this wrong, Stephen, so this may be one we need to refer back, but I think it's, I think it is around, around about 15 or 16 million uh, as of last count. So yeah, decent. We obviously hope to grow that. Um, that has grown consistently over the years and it continues, what, Touchwood that it continues to do so. Um, obviously with growth, growth's all very well as long as you're profitable. Um, and that, yeah. you know, the, bo- the bottom line dictates everything really. Uh, so yes, it's a turnover of nothing is very correct. Especially in the first couple of weeks and months, it was literally a turnover of nothing. It was about, um, you know, it was about getting invoices out and crossing your fingers to some extent or, you know, progressing cases at the fastest speed possible. And, you know, I can remember those first couple of victories and, and, you know, literally I've still got the names on my mobile of the first couple of clients that we had, uh, bigger cases, smaller cases, and, and can remember them specifically. And can remember feeling you were getting a slightly different treatment from certain firms on the other side because you were a small fish at that time and we get pushed, um, in the personal injury sphere step, we get pushed to quite a lot of proofs, more so than you were used to a, a big pursuer firm because I, I don't know if you're being tested or that was just the nature of it. So it was, uh, yeah, it was exciting. It was nerve wracking. Um, and to an extent, as long as you can see that you're going to come into flow with turnover, you can see the point where cases are settling, invoices are getting paid. It's, you can predict what's happening, um, barring any disasters. And you can say, well, what? you can just keep going for another week or another month then that would come in and that would pay for this. And then you get the flow, like I say, as you know yourself. Yeah, I can imagine it, it was, ex- I, mean, I mean, I remember that day myself when I set up my business and it was literally sitting at the kitchen table with a laptop thinking, yeah. right, what now? Yeah. You know, and it's exciting and liberating, but frightening. And I, 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 you know, we were, I was discussing that the other day. I think it's only something that certain people are up for. And that's what then becomes helpful as you grow your practice is because you know you'll have a lot of solicitors or people who work for you who would have, have no real interest in taking the risk that you took. So this is a you know a podcast about your law firm success and it's about yep. providing lessons or insight to other lawyers who are facing challenges about how they build the law firm of their dreams, how they achieve the growth that you've achieved. So it would be interesting to have a brief discussion or a, in fact a more in-depth discussion about a number of the factors or the levers that you have pulled that you think have contributed to your growth most significantly so I don't yeah. know what you'd put as being your top one um, top one probably taking risk I mean it ultimately comes down to that you've got to if, if you're wanting to 
run a law firm if you're wanting to work for yourself in terms of your own law firm, then you've got to take that risk. And I totally would agree that it's not it's not for everyone. Um, it's very easy to reflect after 10 years and you know only remember the good bits. There were certainly stressful bits, especially at the start. But there were times when it could have gone up you know, another way in, in many different respects. I can recall, just being completely candid, I can recall within that first year working extremely long hours, working the night. Didn't mind it so much because you could see it as part of a project. But then also, uh, I can remember going to meet, I think, dad's birthday and going down from West, the, the architect's office in West George Street about eight o'clock on a Friday night to go and uh, meet my family for a, a dinner at Two Fat Ladies, I think it was, sitting down and, and feeling myself getting anxious at how long the meal was coming because I wanted to get it eaten because I wanted to go back up and finish what it was I was doing because I was, you know, feeling the pressure of that. Uh, and the plan was to work that weekend and try and get things finished. So it's, it, whatever route you take, it's definitely, definitely not plain sailing at all. In terms of the growth aspect that you asked about, I, I mean, it's, I'll probably hit it with loads of cliches here, so you need to bear with me here, Stephen, but it's, there's there's definitely an aspect of uh, speculate to accumulate in that regard. And certainly with the nature of some work that we do, you need to spend money to to get that work. And I know we'll undoubtedly speak about digital uh, marketing because that's your, that's your niche, that's your area of expertise. Um, and you've got to take a risk. You've, you obviously take a calculated risk you think about what the return on investment is going to be whether it's worthwhile whether it's something you can afford to do but nothing's certain and you know there were certainly times again probably the first three or four years where we took a big step forward in terms of taking on sources of business which on a lot of occasions involved putting lots of money out the door before that money would come back before those chickens would come home to roost so you can see you know when you see bank balances fluctuate in such a dramatic business which, um, basis, which again will be something that you're or any kind of small business uh, owner be familiar with. You've got to kind of hold your nerve and you've got to be, if you want to grow, you've got to be able to take those calculated risks. So what a very long answer to a short question. So risk is the answer that you're looking for. No, it's an important one though, because I think, um, you know, I, I would be the same and I'm sure many small business owners are the same where in their mood or my mood can go up and down with my bank balance. And it's, you know, I look at the bank balance almost every day. You know, fortunately in our business, we have a huge amount of recurring revenue. So it's relatively stable from that point of view. But I do, you know, you mentioned earlier on about the personal injury sector and perhaps some of the bigger players maybe having a push at you, maybe to test your resolve. And also, I imagine they're also testing your cash flow from yeah. that point of view. And because you've got to, you've got to fund the cases as they are progressing. Yeah. How is Ross from a risk profile point of view in that regard? And how have you managed to manage your cash flow from that point of view? Yeah. I mean, so that's kind of, that that's quite an, uh, that's quite an important point for us as a partnership because Ross, certainly compared with me, Ross takes a completely different view of risk. And actually that saved my bacon on a lot, lot of occasions. That's helped to have that kind of the yin and yang 
aspect to it. You know, and he would joke about that. He would call himself, um, you know, the, the the money guy, the guy that watches the pennies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, I think I've kind of pushed him in that regard, and he's kind of pulled me back equally, and that's helped. And and you know, upon reflection, we've had lots of arguments, and but we've got a strong relationship, and that's been helpful. I think one of the things that lots of people will tell you in terms of businesses don't go into partnership don't tie yourself to somebody because most partnerships fail most partnerships split up um, and we've been lucky enough that we've developed an understanding and it's an understanding which literally could involve you know raised voices to one another quite frequently but then we're very quickly able to work it through and uh, come to an agreement albeit sometimes a grudging agreement but on reflection, and again, looking back and looking at some of the, the battles that I've had with them, where perhaps I'd be looking to take a... Uh, try and make it... I'm not trying to make it sound adventurous or sexy. I'm, try, I'm perhaps trying to take the next step forward. He's a bit more cautious with it. And in fact, he's been right on a lot of occasions. Um, and I, you know, So it, it's useful to have that sounding board and it's useful to have different personalities in that regard, I believe. And so how then have you both dealt with the pressures of cash flow from that point of view, you know, in terms of, you know, being able to uh, manage the way in which you're reacting to some of those things, given that you've both got different personalities in that regard? Yeah, don't know. Um, I, I don't have a magic answer to that, Stephen. I think one of the things that certainly helped us is when we set the firm up, and indeed, till this point, we've always done a number of different areas of law. So even when you're talking about dramatic things like pandemics, where certain things go through the, the floor, there'll the be other things that are busier, etc. And that is and has always been the way. And part of the challenge now that we've become a bigger entity is just to be more consistent, just to, to know and to be able to project what's going to happen month to month to the extent that you can. Obviously, you don't control macroeconomic things like pandemics, and there, you know, you, you've got to uh, have some faith that if these are happening, you find a way through. But being able to practice in different areas of law, we're lucky enough that we've not had them all tanking at the one time. Uh, so there's always been something to kind of keep going, um, but certainly there's been bad days in terms of the. It, convincing for example it was just kind of bread and butter commercial property and there's been bad days in terms of the litigation stuff which i'd take more to do with um and you get through it thankfully but those bad days have been bad enough that it, it shuts the doors and um, you know we've uh, we went through a, an acquisition of a firm a number of years ago now which was extremely extremely challenging because that's a firm in administration where people were losing jobs lots of clients of that previous firm were left in uh, stressful situations so you know there there, there, there have been you know there, there have been the tough days but I think again if you can sort of if you can see the light at the end of the tunnel then that definitely keeps you going because what's the alternative yeah no, I think that's a, it's a big aspect of running a business everyone talks about it about um, resilience and I think a number of years ago I was getting mentored by somebody and he explained to me that running your own business was less like being a Ferrari and much more about being a tractor, you know, and being able to just keep going over the bumps in the road and over the rough terrain at a steady pace. 
and that you, you know really you know you 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 have an overnight success story it's normally built on a whole a whole range of or a a history of hard work and resilience so that the first thing really the first aspect you can attribute a lot of your growth to is one and an a healthy and appropriate attitude to risk you've obviously had to build your um, client base. So I imagine you've also taken a strong approach to business development and sales. Yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of the main thing for me personally um, has been the business development and the sales aspect of things. Now, don't get me wrong, I, I did the legal stuff back in the day and, you know, I, I like to remind existing colleagues of mine that I did do it and I, I know how to do it. Um as much as they might not believe me sometimes, but yeah, I've been to the trenches and been yeah. in court. I've been to tribunals and inquiries and all this kind of stuff, which I love. It's a great part of the job. It's fantastic. I love seeing our young lawyers get exposed to that stuff when the opportunity arises as well. But certainly then and now it's been about getting the clients in. Um, I, I kind of feel that if you can do that or if, if we're talking more broadly, if you can do that, then the rest looks after itself to an extent. Now, obviously, you want to fine-tune your tractor so that it's going it's going, and it's working in a way that, you know, you're getting the best possible result from every, uh, every unit of business that's coming into the machine. Uh, but getting the business in is the fundamental part of it. In terms of... Um, so you've, you've moved gradually sort of off the tools, so to speak... And I and personally, I think it's absolutely fundamental that people play to their strengths and are able to identify in order for this business to progress, I need to be building or bringing in a steady flow of new prospects to get it back to the stage where you know exactly how many conversations you need to be having on a monthly basis in order to grow your business. Have you saw um, over the piece mentorship or coaching from others? Yeah. Um, absolutely, uh, both in a formal and an informal basis, um, and especially at the beginning, I, I spoke to and took it, didn't take advice. I listened to advice from as many people as I possibly could, and certainly that might be one thing if I got the opportunity to pass on, you know, to a, a younger me or, or or somebody that was looking to start a business, any business, I would encourage them to speak to as many people in the know as they can, and then. You know, look at that advice and decide which parts you want to take forward and which parts you want to apply to your own situation. So yeah, that's that. Rarely do you have such a conversation, certainly with somebody who's been there and done it, where you don't take something away that you're able to sort of action. I also write everything down, um, and that's uh, mostly because my memory is absolutely awful. I think we may have spoken about this before. So, you know, I've got everything written down and that's quite helpful to go back and reflect on that stuff. And, you know, indeed, when I look back to some of the notes and emails that I exchanged with people before I started the firm around about that time, some of them you can, you'd laugh out loud reading them, some of the ideas, you know, what you thought you were doing and where you were going. But equally, I'm a strong believer of the old adage that you, having a written plan really helps because it allows you to reflect and that, that plan should be a plan but it should also have goals and you know what you would like to be what you'd like to achieve what you'd like to look like after a period of time I think that I think that helps 
No, I think um, planning's a big factor and something that I'm quite passionate about too, but on the understanding that the plan, the sort of written plan, is a work of fiction and that it's the process of planning that's actually really helpful, which means that you interrogate and reflect on your reasoning and then when you're not hitting milestones or when you're not hitting targets etc that you've set for yourself you're able to understand and reflect on why and then amend the plan accordingly because I imagine the firm that you've got now is entirely different to the one that you envisaged at the outset or certainly the one that you planned for when you were at the table in the architect's office. Yep, absolutely. Of course it is. I mean, the, 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 firm, that, the firm that we've got just now, we're extremely, extremely proud of. We're extremely proud of the, the people that are there. Um, quality of people, not just the lawyers, paralegals, support staff, ev you know, every team member. Um, very, very proud of the ethos and the atmosphere within the firm, a place where Lots of people, lots of lawyers, lots of trainees, paralegals, everyone work with their best pals, um, which for me, and I think I mentioned this to somebody else recently, has been the biggest achievement out of the lot. It really is. You know, our social side of things are brilliant fun, and it's great to see, you know, these young guys. I have heard yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's stuff a legend, some stuff I should say. It's, it's calmed down a bit. It's calmed down a bit, but uh, yeah. It's, it's still a great laugh um, and it's, it's brilliant to see enjoy it thoroughly um, but in terms of a plan I mean yeah plan beats no plan as they say right but it was to have thought that we would be the size that we're at it certainly wasn't the plan and it certainly wasn't something that was anticipated at all the plan in the beginning I think the plan for everyone in the beginning it has to be to keep going to, to make it past that first year Two years, three years, and then you can kind of take it from there. And how have you refined your service offering? Um, well, obviously, with the size of the firm we're at, we've, we've got to provide service to a larger number of clients and sources. So it becomes less of a personal thing. It's, I, I, I obviously don't touch or have interactions with most of the cases. So we've got you've got to build systems and you've got to build processes the way they do that, and that's an ongoing project that you know, you're constantly tinkering with these things. You're constantly trying to improve them, and you can always be doing better in that regard. To what extent does MI and the information that you're able to extract from your database inform your decision making, and how has the sort of deployment of technology in general? assisted with the growth of the firm? Yeah, um, it's massive. It's massive. Um, it used to be very, very basic, and that was fine. You, you know, you spoke, and we mentioned earlier, fluctuations in the bank account. That's literally how it used to be. You would look, and you go, right, well, it's going well this month. I don't need to know anything else, just by virtue of that, or it's looking tight this month. How are we going to factor in these payments that are coming out, or these invoices that are due, or direct debits, or whatever else it is? And that was the extent of your MI. And it, again, to some extent, that is fine. That's the ultimate MI, isn't it? You know, just knowing that you're you're making the profit to survive or making the profit to be able to reinvest in certain areas of a business. Now, MI is certainly not my strong point, but we've now got an excellent operations team uh, that deal with that type of stuff that present information that we want, an excellent sales team, excellent team. Um, you know, guys that uh, turn snakes into ladders, and, you know, uh, 
make it work in terms of the the MI side of things, so that you can look at a glance and and make this strategic decisions. So it's extremely important and really helpful. I mean, I think my my own view of it is that a lot of law firms use maybe fractions of their case management system, and it's potential in order to extract the information that they need, and that's why you do need to get either finance or operations professionals who are able to pull that out for you. Are, are there any other levers that you've pulled that you'd would that you would say have contributed very significantly to your success looking back? Um so we talked about risk, we talked about sales. I I think and again it's it's kind of cliche, but having quality people has been important and I'm speaking from the perspective of somebody that of course has had people that haven't worked out and perhaps not been the right fit for the firm, etc. And everyone say everyone says it and you see, you know, you kinda of roll your eyes when you hear law firms talking about how they're different and how their people's the answer their people differentiate them, make them special and you know I wouldn't be so bold to say that but I think you develop a skill or an intuition and it, I'm not just about me personally this could obviously be people within our organisation to find people that fit and my kind of mantra of late has been that I would rather have somebody that is sharp and enthusiastic than somebody that has got 10 years experience and is, you know, has become a bit jaded from things or, or you know, whatever is perhaps not got the right attitudes for things. We've got lots of them. We've got absolutely barrel loads of tends to be young, sharp, enthusiastic guys who, you know, you, you see as being the future of things, you see being your, your superstars, you, you hope to stay, you do your best. To make them stay within the parameters that are enforced upon you, and and having these guys and some of them have now been with us for a while, get an extremely strong number of associates or solicitors at associate level just now. We've got brilliant paralegal teams, and um, our current batch of trainees and just in choose are again an extremely tight unit, um, and some of them are you know future superstars, no doubts about it. So you do what you can to to keep those superstars within your firm. And that is more than half the battle. So recruitment, um, retention, but also really what you're referring to a lot is culture. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, culture's, culture's massively important. And again, culture becomes quite trite, becomes quite cliche because everyone says our culture is the best. Now, you don't know. Um, I believe that our culture is, is a good one. I believe it's very much an open door policy. I believe that we don't even have the option to be a stuffy old law firm because we're not old and the, you know the, the, and that's that's a demographic thing and that's also just simply the age of the firm being 10 years old so it's uh, that work has changed since I've been in the workforce um, you know it yourself the pandemic's a big shift a big lever as you refer to with this that's a really interesting point Greg because it's one that's been referred to as this as this um, friction between the sort of baby boomers and Gen Z, you know, and I definitely, we've been thinking about this a lot ourselves recently around the impact of the pandemic on working practice and people wanting to build their work around their lives much more. Um, but I've, I've not heard somebody in your position em embrace that attitude to such an extent. Uh, I don't really think you've got a choice. And actually, I think it's, I think it is for the best 
Um, it's, it's changed completely and, you know, it'd be difficult if you could trainees or sort of young paralegals team members listen to this just now, well, what are you talking about? And what I'd really like to do, our perspective is if, if you've got somebody into your firm who work other places and have seen what it's like and are able to sort of feel the contrast, again, not saying we've got everything perfect, we absolutely do not, but it's useful to kind of, you know, to, 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 to have that experience of either what it used to be like or what it still can be like in some places which haven't perhaps embraced that to the same extent. But back, when you're talking about baby boomers, you're probably closer to that than me, Stephen, so you can give that perspective. Thanks. Thanks. Um, the, uh, I think, yeah, you know, it's just, a, it's a, I think it's probably the pandemic, in my view, has had the biggest impact on work. And when I first started in legal practice, I was determined that I was not going to be spending nine to five every day in an office like that or somewhere like that between a Monday and Friday. That was before the internet really became a true commercial tool. Now, over time, attitudes have shifted, but the pandemic has accelerated that somewhat and particularly for the younger person who I think early on in their career suddenly was able to build their work around their life and it's trying to in in my view sort of try to get the balance between wanting to get everything now or wanting to you know as, as you described earlier on Greg and I was the same when I first started my business I worked I had a young family. I worked every day and I worked every night in order to start to get that going. Now now I have a very flexible life. You know, we do reasonably well as a business. I'm fine personally, etc. But I had to forsake or sacrifice a reasonable amount at the outset in order for that to happen. And personally, I think there's just a bit more of learning that requires to be done a wee bit by some younger people to make a decision, go either I want it all now or I'm prepared to do a lot more in terms of initiative, et cetera, or engagement just now. And then I understand that I'll get it all a bit later. Yeah, I agree. And that's where I think there's a bit of a conflict at the moment. Yeah, I mean, you can't... It's, it... You can think that you want a bit wanting it all now, but you're not going to get anything for free at all by stopping your feet and you know, insisting that that's going to happen. You, I would like to think that certainly within our firm, if, if guys want to uh, progress, if they want to put themselves forward for roles, promotion, whatever, then there's a route to that. There's, you know, there's, you, you, but undoubtedly part of that is hard work and showing initiative, showing leadership, being a team player, um, finding and, you know, new ways and new opportunities and, you know, presenting them. And I would like to think that us as an organisation support that to the extent that we can. We always at least try to, and if we're not, we'll have a conversation about it. Yeah, I, th I mean, I think it's it's about being open around the discussion around it and understanding that there is a change dynamic at work, which has been brought about by being able to work at home, but making it more obvious that there's a decision to make. I mean, people talk about it, about younger people, it's harder to differentiate these days, but actually I think it's easier because if you do 
show a level of engagement and initiative and enthusiasm and a willingness to attend the office whenever, then if that's what's being asked of you, then you can separate yourself quite easily from the crowd. Um, I'm, co I'm just getting a, I'm conscious of time here, so I was wanting to cover as well. Are there any... So we've covered a few aspects around reasons for success. What about any individual lessons learned that, that ultimately will be a reasons for success, but would have been a, maybe a painful lesson at that time? Um, I, I think we've covered a few of them. I mean, certainly with regards to you know risk, taking chances. I mean, on a basic level, we've always tried to avoid debt where possible. Um, I think that is something that's got the potential for, you know, stress, uh, disproportionate stress, um, and that's that's just a personal thing. To some extent, and certainly with larger things like acquisition, then debt's a natural part of it. But as long as you can see, with anything where you're spending a lot of money, you've got to be able to see a clear return on investment because otherwise, that spend is fat and it's not muscle. So ROI is extremely important and that, you know, that's something you've got to keep under review with regards to everything you're doing. And to reflect back on what we were, were saying earlier about environment and, you know, work-life balance and quality, et cetera, we, we, we do what we can there. We, we like to be able to, you know, have as many possible benefits as we can in this sphere of well-being and everything else that comes with it. Now, you don't obviously see an immediate return on investment in that in terms of pounds and pence, but you hope to see a return on investment by creating a better working environment, by creating a place people are happier to be, uh, create a, a basis for training and development. They feel that they are supported um, so that they want to stay with you and at least develop part of their career with you. Um, so yeah, ROI and perhaps not direct ROI is an important one for sure. Uh, we spoke about advice and well, you know certainly that would want to be open to all kinds of advice um, and and that's been helpful because you, you, you almost always pick up something and then i guess lastly in that regard and along the same thing if you do make mistakes and you do do something which is costly provided it's not fatal then you've got to be able to move on from them quickly but you've got to be able to view them as learning you've got to view almost view that mistake if it costs you money or otherwise as tuition fees and and keep that lesson with you you've paid for it the hard way so make sure it doesn't happen again where that can possibly be avoided yeah we talked about that recently i think you know it's a thing it's a very important one is that and is to look at the painful bits at the positives that come out of it in terms of a change of approach certainly where it's not fatal in a sort of business sense obviously and um in terms of we specialise in generating business online for firms. To what extent has digital marketing played a part in your growth? It's big for us now. Um, at the start, we did none of it. We did no marketing at all. We just relied on uh, personal relationships and developing those personal relationships like we referred to. Um, and to some extent, that's that, that allowed us to have a, a necessary low profile, which enabled growth at the time. And um, now digital marketing's a fundamental uh, certain aspects of our business that we don't ever wholly rely on digital marketing because I think that's a, that's a dangerous space to be in. But I think it certainly in the world of legal services, it's a sort of necessary supplement 
um, for those that practice those areas. And you, you hear you hear a lot of sub stories in relation to digital marketing. You hear a lot of people that feel that they've been sold the emperor's new clothes in terms of promises that they've got made. And then you hear about firms that survive and flourish on mostly digital marketing. So it can work both ways. And, you know, it's uh, it's an important area from, from which to receive professional advice, certainly. I think um, you know we. It's the same for us as a digital marketing business. It's, it's it's a part of it's a part of the mix, in terms of the lead gen and what you have to have as a broad mix of, um, networking, speaking to people, event attendance. You know, as you say, talking through contacts, getting referrals, as well as having digital marketing and lead gen in, in the mix. That you you can't be just reliant on one, and um. What so for the future of Jones White? Where where do you see that going, and where do you see the future of legal service going? For you know you're a medium sized practice now, but in this you know in the small to medium sized practice environment. Um, Jones White. So what I would like to see happening is I'd like to see some of these tends to be younger, but some of these younger lawyers and leaders really kind of step forward and you know present a case for them to come and be part of the leadership team within our firm and see leadership team rather than partnership because a lot of the leaders within our firm aren't lawyers um so are obviously and i feel that we've got the potential to be really strong in that regard because of the people that are coming up through the ranks and there's obviously an opportunity, and undoubtedly, speaking of series podcasts, there's there's a large opportunity for acquisitions. Um, these are something that are getting presented more and more frequently uh, to us and others that play in this sphere. As again mentioned, sort of as a baby boom generation coming towards uh, the age of retirement, with a law practice that's perhaps been around for 20, 25 years, and um, there's there's a real potential for firms like ours to work in partnership with them or work towards an acquisition with them or a merger and grow into other strategic areas. So that's a possibility, and you know we've, we've got conversations on the horizon in relation to that, uh, and we always tend to at the moment. I think that's certainly got to be part of the plan, but not actually named down. Um, in terms of legal services. Uh, the one thing that I would say in terms of the future of legal services is I don't think I think AI is obviously going to be and everyone is going to speak to you especially the AI the field that you're in but I think there's always going to be a place for a personal and a personalised legal service um, especially in tactical areas of law such as litigation where you want to sort of be thinking sometimes a bit like moves on a chessboard and to the extent you, you, you put your faith in a robot in that regard probably remains to be seen but certainly for the majority of clients to be able to deal with that sort of personalised touch being able to give that tactical advice I don't think that's going to go anywhere in the near future mm. and you know I think that's it's an interesting point because really you've got to understand your opponent in any particular case or negotiation or whatever that might be understand their personality understand the way that they might approach things and to a certain extent tailor your activity on the back of that and on the back of that understanding which I don't think is something that can be replaced in any way quickly certainly in those areas where you describe as being tactical you also mentioned earlier on the fact that you will have areas of practice that 
seesaw. You know, and that's something I think that makes the, res uh, the legal services area, particularly sort of general practice, very resilient because you have this balance within the firm so that where one area goes up, the other goes down and vice versa. I mean, sometimes you get it where they're just sort of sitting, you know, relatively equal. Um, but what, let's say now, Greg, is thank you very much for spending your time with me. That's been, it's been really, really useful. You know, I, I've said that to you before. I think what you've achieved, what you and Ross have achieved in the space of time that you have done is remarkable within legal services. I'm not sure of many, many others who've achieved that growth in the same way that you have. I do know from discussion with others, you know, that one of the main drivers for that is you and the amount of effort that you have put into understanding that in order to grow your practice, you have to spend your time doing effective business development. And in the back, you know, and as you say, that makes life easier when you've got new business coming in and you've got instructions and there's a degree of confidence about that, then you can build your processes in the background. And yes, you will get some mistakes along the way as everyone will do, but that's part of the, one, it's the part of the human condition and two, it's part of actually just running a business. So congratulations to you and Ross. I'm pleased to say that it's becoming less and less about me all the time uh, and less and less and more and more about what our team can do. And you've got people in there doing specialized areas of work a hell of a lot better than me. So it's all about, you know, keeping them and keeping them happy and keeping them to be part of the team and we'll make sure they see a future with us. But yeah, listen, a pleasure to speak to you as always, Stephen, and good luck with this series. Okay, thank you. Thanks very much. Cheers. Bye-bye. So thanks very much for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you're enjoying our content. We'd be delighted to hear any feedback that you have. You can find out more about the Your Law, Your Law Firm Success podcast at mltdigital.co.uk forward slash podcast. Please subscribe. Please share with your friends. Please share with anyone who you know that you think would be interested.